Chapter thirty of Esther Reed's Namesake. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Esther Reed's Namesake by Pansy. Chapter thirty. Something portentous was about to happen. On the morning following Mr. McIntyre's visit with his mother, during which he learned certain interesting particulars about the Tenth Street Church debt, Mrs. John Potter had a caller. No less a personage than Professor McIntyre, as she was always careful to call him. He came before her breakfast dishes were well out of the way, and flurried that excellent woman not a little. She had a very slight acquaintance with this great man, and stood fully as much in awe of him as she did of anybody, which, however, is not saying a great deal. She found him very genial and friendly, interested in her fall flowers, which he compared favorably with his mother's, and he offered to send her from town a new variety of dahlia. In less than five minutes she was quite at her ease and enjoying the call. "'By the way,' he said, with a sudden change of subject, "'I wonder if you can keep a secret. Isn't it generally supposed that ladies cannot?' "'I don't know about other people,' said Mrs. Potter, "'but I know that I can do what I say I will. I am a woman of my word.' "'So I have understood.' At this point Mr. McIntyre passed his hand skillfully over his moustache to suppress a smile, and hurried on. "'The fact is, I want to secure your help in a little matter, and I must first tell you that I am about to be married.' Mrs. Potter gave a little start of surprise, and her face expressed the keenest interest. This was a very rare secret indeed to be entrusted to her keeping.' More than one member of the lady's aid had been heard to say that she did not believe Earl McIntyre would ever marry. And it happens, continued her caller, that the lady I am to marry is especially interested in you. Mercy me, said Mrs. John Potter, in a flutter of excitement. Is it somebody I know? To herself she was saying, Good land, I hope it isn't that yellow-haired girl who was with them a year ago last June. She might have a reason for remembering me. I know I turned around to her one night in meeting, and asked her if she didn't think she could keep from whispering just through prayer time, and we wouldn't mind about the sermon. I do hope she isn't the one. Meantime she was hearing every word that Mr. McIntyre said. And because of this interest, not only in you, but in the church which you represent, she would like to offer through you, in honor of our marriage day, a little gift toward the paying of that church debt, in which we know you are peculiarly interested. The day is set for the ninth of October, which is a sort of anniversary day with us. Mrs. Potter carried on her mental comments. It's the very day the Randall girl and her mother came to the missionary meeting. I remember it because it was John's birthday. Now, Mrs. Potter, may I ask you to receive the gift for me and hold it until the ninth of October, presenting it to your lady's aid on that day as a souvenir of the occasion? What a delightful commission! But Mrs. Potter must be honest, though the opportunity of her life was lost. I am not their treasurer any more, she said sadly. So I have understood, but I do not care to ask any other person to serve us, and as I am compelled to leave town this morning, I thought if I might put this little matter in your hands to attend to at the right moment, it would be an accommodation. Mrs. Potter thought swiftly. I guess I can pass on a little money to them, even if I'm not their secretary, she told herself sternly. Any honest woman could do that without affecting her word. I'll do it, she said briefly, 
in the tone that one might have used if he were saying, I'll do it, though my life should be the forfeit. Mr. McIntyre drew out his pocketbook. I have made it in the form of a check, Mrs. Potter, payable to your order. If you will kindly hold it, and the secret I mentioned, until the ninth day of October, and then arrange its payment in any manner that best suits you, Mrs. McIntyre-elect and myself will be most grateful to you. My goodness, said Mrs. John Potter, as she stood, check in hand, at the front window and watched her caller making rapid strides toward the station. I was that flurried and bewildered that I never asked him who the lady was, nor why she had any interest in me. Well, well, I wouldn't have thought that I could be such a goose. It can't be that yellow-haired girl. She wouldn't want me to handle any of her money. I wonder what this check is. They're rich, those McIntyres. I shouldn't wonder a bit if it was a good fifty dollars, same as we made at the supper. Wouldn't that be great now, if it should be the exact sum? I guess those ladies that voted it would feel cheap then. As she thought these excited thoughts, she opened with eager hands the folded check. You could have knocked me down with a feather, was her description of it, when, on the ninth day of October, soon after five o'clock, she was able to tell the story but at the moment all she said in almost frightened gasps was, My goodness! Gracious! And now it is time to return to Mrs. John Potter's large, old-fashioned parlor and watch the busy needles and listen to the busy tongues. I wonder if Mrs. Potter isn't about ready to come in, said the President. It is almost five o'clock. What do you suppose is going to happen? asked another, pausing in her work to make her words more impressive. I never was so surprised in my life as when I heard Mr. Evans read that notice from the pulpit asking us here. I didn't believe she would ever do it. Well, said one of the gardener girls, I was never so surprised in my life as I was when we received Professor McIntyre's wedding cards. Mary and I noticed last year that he was very polite to that girl, but they were his mother's guests and he is polite to everybody. I never saw a more polite young man in all my life than Professor McIntyre, never. I guess nobody else ever did, said little Mrs. Hunt. I couldn't help but notice him one day last spring, when that Sarah Barnes was sewing there, a plain, homely girl without any style of any kind, and as freckled as she can be in the bargain, and if he didn't hold open the gate for her, and lift his hat as she walked out of it, as though she was a queen. Although the wedding which they all knew was in progress that day had been discussed in all its bearings until one would have supposed that there was nothing left to be said, no matter what subject was under discussion, they presently returned to it with renewed vigor. I suppose the ceremony is over by this time, said Mrs. Stillman, glancing at the clock, and she's Mrs. Earl McIntyre forever and always. I wonder how she feels. I'm glad they have such a nice day for the wedding. But then, land, it may rain cats and dogs out there. They say it is more than a thousand miles from here. I guess it is nearer two thousand, said one of the gardener girls. Doesn't it seem just like a storybook, her coming away out here in search of him, as one may say, though of course she didn't think of such a thing. She was a sweet, pretty, modest girl. I liked her looks the first time I set eyes on her, and I saw her that first evening when Professor McIntyre brought her into church. It's my belief that he was struck with her from the first minute. If you think of it, he always had her with him. 
He is downright in love with her, I'm sure of that. Mrs. Baker says we ought to see the suite of rooms he has had furnished all new for her in the big house. She said if two or three of us wanted to come in before the folks get back, she'd show them to us. And that reminds me how nice she is going to have it all around. Do you remember that Professor Langham who was down here with the McIntyres last spring? It seems he's married a college friend of hers. Of Mrs. Baker, do you mean? interposed one of the good women, who liked to have pronouns and antecedents in their places. The gardener girl gave her an annoyed glance and said, Of course not. Professor Langham, as I was saying, has married a college friend of Miss Randall's, or else he's going to, I don't know which. The most intimate friend she had in college, Mrs. Baker said, and she used to know Professor Langham, too. He is from that college where she graduated, you know, so I suppose that will make it pleasanter yet, and he is fixing up rooms just around the corner from the McIntyres. They aren't much like the McIntyres' rooms, Mrs. Baker said, but real nice and cozy, so she won't be altogether among strangers, as one may say. Though, of course, when her husband is at home, she won't feel any call to be lonesome. I do think he is the very nicest young man that was ever made, and I must say I'm real glad she has got him. She seemed to think the world of her father and mother, and now she can do for them. He'll do for them, said the member who was an intimate friend of the housekeeper at the McIntyre's big house. She had bided her time, knowing that she had a delicious budget of news for them. I don't suppose you have heard what a surprise he gave them, did you? Well, I have. I was in town yesterday, and I got an hour to run in and see Mrs. Baker, and she told me all about it. He got it up for her father and mother. The girl knew about it and helped keep it secret. I tell you, he did it up in fine style. But what was it? said two voices at once, and nearly all the needles waited. Why, he took the two grandmothers and the three aunts, along with his folks, out to the wedding, paid all the bills, and took the Sunset Limited Vestibule Parlor Car Buffet and all the other things train. Wasn't that a thing worth doing? It seems none of them have ever been out there, and he made up his mind they should all have a good time together. It must be nice to be able to do things like that. Well, they can afford it, said Mrs. Jacob Smith, beginning to sew. Mr. Smith was saying last night that Mr. Warren McIntyre was one of the richest men in the city, and growing richer every day, and the professor is his only child. That girl has certainly done well for herself, and all her folks probably. She'll never have to cut up her petticoat again to make shirts for anybody, I guess, and I, for one, am real glad that— Ladies, interrupted the president of the ladies' aid, it is exactly five o'clock, and we must come to order at once for business. It was at that moment that Mrs. John Potter entered the room, and those who glanced at her face felt a kind of delicious awe steal over them. Something portentous was about to happen. The first formalities were passed over with commendable speed, and the president announced that their former beloved and honored treasurer, Mrs. John Potter, had a communication to make. Then Mrs. Potter arose, shook out the folds of her handsome black dress, and began. Ladies of the Tenth Street Church, I need not say that I am glad to see you all here today, and I am sure no one but myself can know how glad I am to be counted once more among you. You have been so good as to tell me a number of times that you missed me, but I know you can't have missed me as much as I have you. 
I need not go over in detail the circumstances that have served to keep us apart. You all understand them. You remember that I said I could not meet with you as a worker again until the sum of $3.65 placed in the bank subject to my call had increased to the sum of $1,000. I suppose you thought that was a wild and foolish statement, and it was. I am free to confess that it would have been more sensible in me a good deal to have worked right along with you and done my best instead of fixing myself so that, being a woman of my word, I couldn't ever expect the chance of being counted with you again. But the Lord is often better to us than we deserve, to me anyhow, and I'm about ready to believe that the age of miracles isn't past at all. Ladies, something a good deal like a miracle has taken place. That lonesome little three dollars and sixty-five cents that I've taken care of so long has sprouted and spread itself beyond all bounds. In this tin box which I hold in my hand, there are some gold pieces, each one of them worth twenty dollars. Look, there is one of them. Do you take it in? Twenty dollars in gold. And it belongs to the ladies' aid of the Tenth Street Church, to be used toward paying off the debt. Well, how many of them are there, do you say? Two? Five? Ten? How large is your faith? Ladies, there are fifty twenty-dollar gold pieces in this box, one thousand dollars in gold. Ladies, I have the greatest pleasure of telling you that this wonderful gift is from Mrs. Earl McIntyre in honor of her wedding and anniversary day. It is just a year today, you remember, since we had the pleasure of looking at her for the first time, and she has chosen to mark the event in this blessed way and give me a chance to share in the joy. Mrs. Potter stopped abruptly, for her voice grew too husky to proceed and the president of the ladies' aid had at that moment an inspiration. Now, she said gleefully, we can have our treasurer once more. All in favor of electing Mrs. John Potter, treasurer of the ladies' aid, please rise. In a twinkling, every woman was on her feet. Some were laughing and exclaiming. One or two were wiping away the tears. They loved their church, these women, and the debt had hung like a millstone about their necks for years and years and they all liked Mrs. John Potter and had missed and mourned her. They gathered about her and shook hands and congratulated themselves and her, and were all but overwhelmed with joy. It was the president again who kept a cool head and called them to order. Ladies, she said, tapping with her silver thimble on the table, we have almost lost our wits with joy, and no wonder. With Mrs. Potter's permission, we will in a few minutes adjourn to the dining-room for supper, and wait until we are calmer before we transact any more business. But before that, let us all join hands and bow our heads and say as a prayer, Thank God for Mrs. Earl McIntyre and Mrs. John Potter. And this they did, while down the cheeks of the strong-minded woman of her word rolled unmolested great shining tears of joy. End of chapter 30 Recording by Tricia G. End of Esther Reed's Namesake by Pansy